Please stand for the reading of God's Word. Yeah, that works. We're going to read from Matthew 6, 9-13. to In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right, good morning. It's a great uh, rainy-ish. I'm on, right? You guys can sort of hear me. Yeah, it's kind of a rainy-ish day. The bills are here, about to uh, maybe give it a go with the Patriots, see how well that goes for them. We have to have faith. You know, like, but faith is built on evidence, right, man? Like, I don't, I don't know, like, I'm sorry, all right, I'm done now. I couldn't resist. That's true. Sometimes it is. <clears throat> All right. So it is great to be here with you guys. And uh, it's always great to see new faces and catch up with old faces. Not that you have old faces, but, you know, not new faces. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Pastor Dan. Yeah. He won't forget. He'll make a short joke next time he's up here. So. We've been going through this series, right? Pray like this. And we're at the end. We're at the end of our series. Hello. And uh, it's been a great series, right? We've really had a great time. The life groups have been really great. And so this last piece that uh, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. It's kind of like a way to sum it all up. And so uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about what we talked about for the last seven, eight weeks. So I want to turn to Matthew chapter 9. And uh, I, I'm really fickle when it comes to reading the Bible. Whatever I happen to be reading typically is my favorite part of the Bible. <laughs> uh, there are a couple of standouts, but, you know, that's usually what it is. So right now this is one of my favorite parts of the Bible. And uh, it's uh, Matthew 9, and we're going to go to, uh, we're going to start at verse 14. And one of the things I like so much about this is we have a tendency to, to treat Jesus like a master teacher only. We, we want to take the things that he says and kind of treat them like advice, kind of stick them on our life that, you know, we're going to live our life a certain way. And then we're like, oh, well, this one or two things over here Jesus said sounded like good advice. We're just going to stick it on. So I love uh, this little passage because he just kind of blows this up. Uh, starting with verse 14, Matthew 9. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to him, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? Now, okay, can he just answer a question? Right? Come on. All right, we'll just keep going. Uh, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. 
for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. Now, when I first started to read this passage, first time I ever read it, I thought that he was talking about fasting. He's not. He's not talking about fasting. I used to try and squeeze uh, this, you know, that, that old story, you know, outward religion versus inward religion, right? I tried to, like, view this through that, through that filter, but it just doesn't fit. Okay, I mean, we can kind of make it fit, you know, we just close our eyes and plug our ears, but it doesn't fit. So, firstly, I just, I just want to express that it is simultaneously fantastic and vexing that Jesus refuses to just straight up answer questions. Okay, <laughs> the first thing he says is another question, and it, and it seems like it doesn't make any sense. It's like, why did the chicken cross the road, almost, you know? Like, why are you asking me this question when I just asked you about fasting? Right. So, why did Jesus answer the, ask the question with that question? Can the guests of the, of the wedding fast while the bridegroom is with them? Well, of course not. Who fasts at a wedding? That would be really strange. <laughs> the bride and groom fast at the wedding <laughs> just because they have to catch up with everybody. <laughs> yeah, that was a poor thing. I remember that. Uh, so everyone else eats pretty good at the wedding except for the bride and groom. It would be a strange thing to fast at the wedding. So what what is Jesus saying with this question? There's no need to mourn because we're at a wedding. We're, at a, we're celebrating. Right. When the kingdom of heaven, when you hear the phrase kingdom of heaven, what comes to mind? Go ahead, shout it out. No one's going to make fun of you. Joy, peace. What? Say that again. Hoopla. <laughs> That's a good one. What else? What, what other phrases come to mind? What? Celebration. Beauty. Say that again. You know, in the first century, when people heard kingdom of God, reign of God, kingdom of heaven, they usually associated it with God coming down to earth and helping them conquer everybody. That's usually how it's associated. A lot of scholars think that's why Judas betrayed Jesus, because they thought he thought maybe I can force Jesus' hand. See, people build kingdoms after the wrong images of themselves. Our methods are kind of twisted, right? We say that we want peace and justice but we attack people that haven't done anything to us. We say we want compassion, but we have torture chambers. 
We say we want truth, but only if it exposes the guy on the other party. Right. We say it's wrong to uh, build up your military, but only for the Russians. We say that it's wrong to uh, put, put, put your stuff on other people's lawns, but only for the neighbor. If my stuff's on the neighbor's lawn, it's okay. We tend to build kingdoms that are twisted. We want to do what's good, right? We, our goal somewhere in there is truth, peace, love. But it, what ends up happening? Our kingdom becomes twisted around. We find ourselves cheering for crazy things. We find ourselves cheering for war, for abortion. We find ourselves cheering for the downfall of everyone we don't like. We get twisted inside. And look, don't, don't think for a minute that our country is unique in that way. Okay? Other countries have those same kinds of problems. People have those same kinds of problems. We can rewind the clock 600 years. People wrestled with the same thing. Who remembers the Spanish Inquisition? Well, I hope no one actually remembers that. Maybe Joe Miller does. Back when he was uh, helping uh, Gutenberg with his uh, movable type. So, yeah, Joe was outside with a protest sign, right? <laughs> right, now, did someone wake up one morning and say, you know, I just don't like people, so I just want to kill them all and torture them, so we're going to make the Spanish Inquisition. Not what happened. The Spanish Inquisition arose because the Muslim empires from the east and the south were squeezing Europe in between, like a basket, okay? Europe was like in this little basket, and on the east you had the Muslims here, and on the north and west you had the Muslims here. And so they felt terrified. And so we twisted ourselves, and the Spanish Inquisition rose out of a lot of that fear. When we try to do things our way, we twist ourselves into something that we're not meant to be. And so, to get out of that, when we think about the kingdom of heaven, we're tempted to just think about going to heaven when we die. That everything is a certain way here, and we can't do anything about that. And we're just going to hold on, we're going to say our few magic words, and we're going to hold on in our seat, give some money, and wait till we die. It's tempting to be that way because sometimes we just feel so defeated. It seems like no matter what we do, there's somebody doesn't like it, right? I saw this really funny picture. It was just four pictures of a guy and his wife and a donkey. And no matter what arrangement they had, someone criticized them. Didn't matter what it was, right? If you take 10 humans, you stick them in a room, you ask them a question, you'll get 25 different opinions. We tend to twist ourselves in our kingdoms. Jesus brought a kingdom whose methods match 
his method, his message. That is the foundational difference. Jesus, when he's talking about the new wine and the new garment, he's not talking about fasting. He's talking about he's bringing something new. That question about the bridegroom in the Old Testament, and some of you may have heard this before because I talk about this a lot. In the Old Testament, God calls himself Israel's husband. Turn with me to Hosea. Chapter 2. I'm sorry, I didn't give you this one. I apologize. Kind of. It's more of a polite apology than a heartfelt one. Whatever, we're going to be honest, right? We're children of the kingdom. I'm forgiven, right? That was my last sermon about forgiveness a few weeks ago. Forgive me. Hosea chapter 2. I just want to read this real quick. Turn with me. You can find it. I'm going to start with verse 16. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. Now, he's talking to Israel. Okay. You will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my Baal, or my master. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field and of the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things of the ground, and I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land, and I will make you lie down in safety. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. And in that day I will answer, declares the Lord. I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth. And the earth shall answer the grain and the wine and the oil. And they shall answer Jezreel, and I will sow her for myself in the land. And I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. That is the vision of God's kingdom. Some people think that they can just take some of the good advice that Jesus has to offer, and they can just kind of stick it on their lives, right? Well, there's a hole in my life here, so I'm going to stick it right here, right? Like if I wanted, I, I have three black shirts. I had a lot of comments today, by the way, that I'm not wearing black, okay? So I have three black shirts, and if any of them got torn, I would be tempted to try and repair them before just replacing them because I really like them. Yeah, Emily probably will make them disappear. <laughs> oh, Doug said so buy me a shirt. Thank you. I love you too. But it would be, I would look really foolish, right? With like a big hole and I got a patch over the top. It would be pretty, pretty obvious how silly that would look. Jesus came to bring something that was so new that it could not fit within the mold of his time. The Jewish leadership did not have a way to process what Jesus was saying. So they couldn't stick it in the things they always did. They couldn't stick it inside of their nationalism. They couldn't stick it inside of their vision for uh, strict adherence to the Torah. They couldn't stick it inside of their way to earn God's favor. It didn't fit. 
So you see, Jesus came with a new wineskin and the new wine. He came with the new garment, right? When Paul says, put on the old self. No, he says, put on the new self. It's my fault. Sorry. When Paul says, put on the new self, he came with a new garment. He's not just an advice giver. I mean, he is. He's pretty good advice in there. But the problem for Jesus is that a lot of it's a package deal. His advice isn't good advice if what he did on the cross didn't mean anything. If there's no kingdom of God, it doesn't make sense to let people abuse you. If there's no kingdom of God, it doesn't make sense to forgive people. If there is a kingdom of God, then it does. If there's no kingdom of God, it makes sense to scratch and claw for whatever you can grab all the way up until you die. And it doesn't matter that your hearse will never be followed by a U-Haul because you're going to be dead. So you just get whatever you can. But the vision of God's kingdom is, no, 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 no. I am making all things new. And not only am I going to turn your life inside out now, but that will carry on into something more beyond death. It can be. Or the new wineskin would be more the package that is the kingdom of God. And so some of that new wine is forgiveness. And so then you might drink that and then pour in mercy. And then you drink that and you pour in graciousness. Yeah. We can't just treat Jesus like a guy with good advice. And this is what the Lord's Prayer is about. This is about a changing of vision for what the kingdom of God is. People in his time had their own vision of what they thought the kingdom of God was supposed to be like. They had a vision of conquest. Who's heard of Hanukkah? Hanukkah, right? Right around Christmas, right? So that's the celebration of about 200 years before Jesus, right? And the Maccabean revolt. So the bunch of Greek crazy people, we've had this story before, right? A bunch of Greek crazy people tried to make the Jews worship them and some idols, and then the Jews revolted, and that's what Hanukkah celebrates, is the, the conquering, the beating back of the Jews, the beating back of the Greeks by the Jews in, the, in that time period. Okay, So when people are envisioning the kingdom of God in Jesus' time, this is what they think is going to happen. They're picturing a champion, right? When Peter, set, when Peter calls Jesus the Son of God, what's the next thing he says? Jesus says, oh, I'm going to go die. And what does Peter say? No, that can't be right. You're not going to die. Right. Jesus rebukes him because Peter understood who he was, but not why he was here. In fact, nobody seemed to understand why Jesus was here except the demons. <laughs> How ironic. Only the demons knew. Every time a demon saw him, they were like, oh, please don't touch me. Are you here before the appointed time? Like they knew why he was here. Nobody else could put it together. To be fair, I wouldn't have either if I were them. We're invited to step out of our old existence. This is what Jesus is doing with the Pharisees. I'm bringing something new. 
The bridegroom is here. I've come for you. The promise that God made, I'm here. He says, I'm calling you out from where you were, because otherwise we just have cause and effect. Right? Newton's law, cause and effect. Whatever, whatever action has to equal an opposite reaction. Right. So a lot of humans, we just fall into that. Someone hurt me, I'm going to hurt them back. Other people around me, they're just looking out for themselves. I'm going to do that too, because I have to. You don't have to. Because of what Jesus has done, he's given us an opportunity to break that chain of cause and effect. And to insert a new state of affairs. Nope, I am not going to be pushed into this over here because of what so-and-so did to me. I'm stopping that right now. I have the power to do that because Jesus has changed my life. I don't have to sin anymore. I don't have to be too selfish anymore. I don't have to treat my neighbor like garbage anymore. Because I'm not a slave to that cause and effect. I now can master the world around me. So can you. That doesn't mean I always choose to. Right? Emily can attest how many times. <laughs> that face is great. How many times I do not react in a way that says, I don't have to do this, and instead I just act like a little child. The Lord's Prayer is supposed to help us focus on God's vision for a new kind of kingdom. Not a kingdom built on political intrigue. Not a kingdom built on war. Not a kingdom built on misinformation. Do you think the first propaganda we've ever heard of is on the TV in the last year? No. Yeah. I mean, you had governments, uh, over the course of the 20th century, they would fly planes over people's homes, and they would drop propaganda leaflets. Yeah. The Romans were good at propaganda, too. They were really good at it. It's not a new thing. We can build a kingdom that's built on serving. We've been given a kingdom that's built on self-denial. Not the, oh, my life is terrible and you should be miserable like me, self-denial. No, no, no. I've found freedom from having to serve myself constantly. Self-denial. Yeah, that's different. We can see God as our Father, right? That first part, our Father in heaven. We can see that because he's our Father, even though he's holy, hallowed be your name, he's not distant from us. He's not aloof from us. We can pray that his kingdom is done on earth as it is in heaven. We can have the attitude that says the kingdom of God is not waiting for us over there, but it has joined us here. Because if you carry the Holy Spirit in your heart, you carry the kingdom of God. We can trust that God provides both spiritually and physically. We know that God forgives us, and so we can extend that forgiveness to others.
We trust him to not lead us down the path of temptation, but to snatch us away from evil. We don't have to say to ourselves, this is just who I am. How many times have you heard that? Someone does something evil. It's just evil. And all you hear out of their mouth is, this is just who I am. And so when I hear that, I simultaneously my heart breaks for them, and I'm kind of angry, depending on what it is. But they've gone there because they believe that lie that says, I have to be this way. We don't have to be that way. This is God's vision for his kingdom. It starts here and now with us, and it carries into the future. Jesus is our vision of God's glory. John 1.14, you want a, you want a verse that you want to memorize? John 1.14. It is one of the best verses in John's gospel. I'm going to read it because I know I will misquote it. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh. Some people think, or they behave, as though Jesus' only job was to die on the cross for our sins. That's all that Jesus came to do. For them, it would be fine. If Jesus just showed up one day, walked right up to the cross, got himself crucified, died, rose again. And the whole rest of the Gospels don't mean anything. We behave like that, right? We just have, we just need the, the birth, which, I mean, you really don't even need the birth, right? He could just put on his human suit, come moseying on up to the cross, die, rise from the dead, and then we can have Paul's writing. We're good. We don't need the Gospels. Right. That's not what this is about, right? The Word became flesh. He added humanity to himself. He joined humanity with divinity. He is the place where heaven and earth meet. And because of the Holy Spirit, so are you. In Matthew 10, when Jesus instructs his disciples when they're going out to preach the gospel, right? If, uh, if you haven't read that, when you have a minute, go and read Matthew 10. It's kind of interesting. Matthew 10, he tells them, don't take a bag, don't take a walking stick, don't even take sandals, don't, don't take money. Just go out. Go find somebody's house, stay in it, they'll feed you. Why did he do that? Does Jesus hate money? Huh? They want them to put their full trust in God. Yeah. Because the kingdom of God doesn't look like the kingdoms of men. It trusts in God. It doesn't trust in bombs. It doesn't trust in police officers 
No disrespect to police officers or bombs. It doesn't trust in presidents or senators or houses or House of Representatives or whatever, however you want to say that one. It trusts in God. So because of that, the disciples were supposed to walk around with nothing. And the signs of the kingdom were just changed lives. Heal the sick, raise the dead, rescue the weary, heal the broken. The signs of the kingdom are changed lives. They're not big televisions. These are just tools. We can have church without the tools. We can. They're not nifty lights, although I like the blue lights. They're not nifty lights. The signs of the kingdom are not pianos. They're not the microphone I'm using. These are just tools. We can have church without them because the kingdom of God lives in us. He doesn't live in a television. doesn't live. That would be weird for the kingdom of God to live in a television. Uh, it would be like a comic book kind of thing going on. Uh, yeah. He, right, how would he get in there, right? I'm sure we could make up a story. Uh, he doesn't live in the speakers. He doesn't live in the microphone. He lives in people. He lives in people. And everywhere we go, we carry heaven with us if we are in Christ. We carry heaven with us. Why do we need to feel like we're defeated all the time? We carry heaven with us. Yeah, there's going to be pain. There's going to be pain. But if we carry heaven with us, we can repurpose it. Why do you think... You guys remember the story when Jesus is uh, teaching in the temple and some Pharisees walk up to him and ask him if we should pay taxes to Caesar. Remember that story? And of course, this is a nifty little trick, okay? Uh, just just as an aside, I haven't been a, a, a pastor over adults for very long, and, but I was a pastor over teenagers for a little while. And I have to say that I have never heard a question from a person that was completely random and was connected to nothing. Okay, it's almost always connected to something. When someone asks you a question, there's something in them they want to know. It may only be peripherally related, but it's there. When people ask you questions, they, there's something in them that wants to be answered. So when people ask you what you think about divorce or what do you think about homosexuality or what do you think about abortion or what do you think about uh, drug use or any of those things, there's something close to their heart that wants to know what you think. Keep that in mind. Keep that in mind before you bust out your sledgehammer and start whacking stuff. All right? Right. This is not whack-a-mole. Thank you. That was good. I hadn't thought of that. This is not whack-a-mole. We're dealing with people. Okay? If we carry heaven with us, we need to understand that people are asking questions out of their brokenness. Just like we are. Just like we were. So they ask him this question, is it okay to pay taxes to Caesar? Now at the time, there were lots of guys walking around claiming to be the Messiah. Don't pay taxes to Caesar. And 
Rome is terrible. Now, Rome had their serious problems. And Rome is terrible, and we need to rise up and conquer the Romans. That was the thing, all right? So what they were trying to do, they were trying to put Jesus in an awkward position where they could make him either say, A, rebel against the Romans by saying, no, don't pay taxes to Caesar, or B, they can make him look like a fraud by saying, yeah, pay taxes to Caesar. They thought they had him. And of course, because Jesus is Jesus, he's far too clever to fall into that nonsense. So what does he say? And I love this because he doesn't necessarily cite scripture, and yet he kind of does, right? So what's the question he asks? Does anyone remember the question? Whose likeness is on the coin? Right. And then what does he, and of course Caesar's likeness is on the coin, and so then what does he say? Okay, so then I can almost feel the implicit question in the whole exchange. Whose image is on you? Yeah. Whose image is on you? In Genesis 1, we know the answer to that question. So you see, a lot of folks will cite that scripture and think, oh, Jesus, Jesus was a 19th century liberal. He thought we should have separation of church and state. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's not what he was saying. <laughs> he was saying, everything belongs to God. Sure, give this guy his taxes, whatever. Everything belongs to God. You belong to God. He was saying kind of what the Pharisees were hoping he would say. He would look like a radical, but not in the way that they wanted him to say it, so he, it was actually pretty awesome. Everything belongs to God. I want to encourage you. Hmm? Yeah, it's a bad habit. One, one day the rain will remind me why it's a bad habit. I want to encourage you. And I want to challenge you. Yeah, I know you hate that word, Ollie. <laughs> Sometimes I don't, I don't even actually plan to say it, but if I see Ollie, I make sure I say it. Just like the Holy Spirit encourages me and challenges me every day. The kingdom of God is not from this world, but it is for this world. And we carry it with us wherever we go. I want you to ask yourselves, how do I bring heaven to earth wherever I am? How do I bring heaven to earth in someone else's life. Because look, our, our life, our new creation starts here and then we carry on with us. We carry it through death, out the other side of being dead until we have a new physical body, right? We call it the resurrection. But we're not greasing the wheels of a car that's flying off a cliff, okay? God promises to renew creation. The renewal of mankind is the crowning jewel of that. 
I mean, why else would Jesus come and do what he did for God then just to swat the whole thing aside and just go, okay, you guys are going to hang out with me as spirits and we're all going to play harps and sit on clouds. Right, that's just not it. <laughs> I've seen so many Tom and Jerry cartoons where that is exactly what happens. <laughs> it's amazing. I, what, as a teenager, my eschatology was taught by Tom and Jerry, okay? That's what I thought it was. <laughs> We're not made for that. When God made Adam, right, he made him out of the ground with his own hands, right? There's a specific intimacy to that. The rest of these spoke into existence, but with Adam and Eve, he made them out of the ground with his hands, and then he breathed life into him, and Adam became a living being. And then in Luke, I want to say it's chapter 23 or 24. And Luke, Jesus breathes on the disciples and says, receive the Holy Spirit. In Genesis 1, God says to Adam and Eve, fill the earth and subdue it. In Matthew 28, Jesus says to the disciples, fill the earth with the gospel. New creation. New wineskin. New wine. In this time, it, elections are coming, right? We're going to all vote in like 10 days or 9 days. Wars are everywhere still. That's been the same. As long as I've been alive, there's something on the news about a war somewhere. I haven't been alive that long, but it's kind of a long time for a continual war. I know our country has been bombing someone for like 30 years on and off. And my whole life, I remember growing up as a teenager just watching the news. Well, we bombed so-and-so today, and so-and-so attacked so-and-so, and so on. And every year at election time, you know, we hear the same old stuff. And we hear prophecies about the end times. So-and-so is the Antichrist. So-and-so is not the Antichrist. No, you're wrong. So-and-so over there is the No, the Pope's the Antichrist. We are all that stuff, okay? Here's the thing. The United States, just for a little perspective, the United States is 240 years old, right in July, give or take, right? How old is the church? Almost 2,000 years old, right, give or take. So that means the United States is roughly 12% as old as the church. So for 88% of the church's lifespan, no United States. In fact, modern democracies, right, they've existed for less than 15% of the church's lifespan. Now, not to downplay, there's a lot of bad stuff happening, okay? And we need to be prepared, whatever that looks like to us. I'm not saying that, I'm not, right, we're not whistling in the dark. A lot of bad stuff is happening, okay? We're not pretending like everything's fine. Not everything's fine. But here's the thing. The church has been around a long time. Almost 
10 times longer than the United States has been around. It's a long time. The church grew up in persecution. See, a lot of folks think that the church didn't exist until like the middle of the 4th century and that Emperor Constantine guy came along and made Jesus what he was and blah, 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 blah. Okay, so none of that is true. For the first 250 years of the church's existence, Christians were on and off hunted by the authorities of their time. They were sometimes, during some, uh, under some governors and under some emperors, they were literally dragged out of their homes and crucified alive or upside down or while they were burning or they were fed to animals. And a lot of times when it was happening, they weren't screaming and saying about their rights. They were singing praise to God, saying, thank you, I am so glad I can suffer for the name of Jesus. And people like, you ever hear of a guy named Tertullian? Okay, Tertullian is one of the greatest theologians in the history of the early church. He also was a pagan until one day he's sitting out on his porch and he's watching Christians being led off to slaughter and they are singing about how good God is. They know they're going to be fed to animals and they are singing praises and Tertullian cannot wrap his head around that. What is going on? Because their attitude was the kingdom of God will endure. That I will stand before my maker and embrace him. And God will deal with this world as well as he can. We carry the kingdom of God with us wherever we go. We are the change. The ballot box is not. Okay? We are the change that Jesus wanted to institute in the world. Otherwise, he would have instituted democracy when he got started. He would have said, all right, I want you to, everyone to set up ballot boxes everywhere. Didn't happen. He said, I'm going to invest in people, and we're going to change the people, and then they're going to change the world. Okay? That is who we are. The church carries the kingdom. And we grow it with the Holy Spirit. Who in your life needs the kingdom of God? Yeah, well, besides me. <laughs> I want you to think about that. How can we bring heaven to earth where we go? I want to challenge you with this. Because it's easy for us to just to sit back and think, you know what, if we just had a law here, or if we just got so-and-so over here to do it, and we got these other people, well, what about you? We can do it. You can do it. We don't have to wait around for some leader to come along and make us do it. We see a need, we can fill it. Leaders will do what they can. But we are the change. Because the Holy Spirit is in us. And he is among us. So I want you to be encouraged and I want you to think about your life. 
about who you trust. Because it's easy for us to trust in those chariots, right? It's easy for us to trust in the airplanes. It's easy for us to trust in the authority figures. But their authority and their power to change the world is pretty limited. Laws do not make people good. The gospel does. So let's take some ownership about the world around us. Let's stop with our crazy complaining. And let's do some good. Let's grow. Let's build for the kingdom. And let's serve our Lord well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for this time. It's so easy to get mixed up in the stuff around us to forget uh, why we're here, what we're about. Lord, we pray that you would be with us, that you would remind us, you would remind us every day of how good you are and how you have called us out of the darkness and into a life of light where we can shine into the darkness around us. That you would comfort us, that you would challenge us. Lord, we thank you so much for all of the good that you have done in our lives and all the good that you will continue to do. We'll give you thanks and praise in your name. Amen. Pastor Dan looks like he wants to say something.